thank you. Thank you. You've been through uh, so much, church, and uh, sitting here, I was thinking, Sister Taylor, about six months or so ago, the last time I was here, and it was the day before uh, the, 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 the I, I call it the church profile, was going on Cove Connect. And um, Jesse came and, and, and you did the presentation and you had been doing presentations as a committee, doing certainly work as a committee. And so to be here uh, in the middle of this, I got an attitude because I, I started not to come. And I'll tell you why in a minute, but let me go back to what I was going to say. You know, um, just, to, just to be romantic about it, I, you know, is to come back now uh, this week and to be with you and to thank God and to thank you brings that gratitude. But I wasn't, I wasn't so thankful because... Because when I saw the little picture, I'm thinking, well, first of all, you got Dean Edwards, and you end with Minister Tim, and then you throw me in the middle. So next week, my pastor is coming, and we coming back, so you really want me just to introduce him. And then last week, you know what y'all did, and so I'm thinking, why you got me coming in the middle of this? this I thought y'all loved me, Dan, I thought. New Community Covenant Church loved me, and then this happened. So, so you know, it's fine. You know, it's fine. We could bring a lawsuit. I see. You know, yeah. Don't encourage me. I, I don't say that to me. <laughs> I ain't bring. No, what I'm bringing is Thanksgiving. Great Thanksgiving for you that don't know me. I'm joking because I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful I know many of the stories, don't know all of them, don't want to know all of them, and, but I know, I know many of them, and one of the things that rests with me as I stand with you is that God has a way not of undoing where you've been, but of healing where you've been. And, and, and when God heals where you've been, it, it, it doesn't undo it, but it does it again. You've gone through the months and months and years of the things you have, and God doesn't change that. But God has a way. I'm already raising my voice. Calm down. Oh, ain't even five minutes in. God has a way not of undoing it, but, but almost of overdoing it. Or, uh, doing it in a different way. So, so that when you think back over the weeks and months of all of your prayers, you know what you've been through. And God knows what you've been through. And what you've been through does not go away. But, but in God's movement that we 
cannot always follow, track, inspect, examine, critique, and analyze, much less explain in God's goings with us. Somehow God goes with us over our yesterdays. And it matters. But it begins to matter in relationship with this day. It's how we stay in this day. It's it's how tomorrow when we get there is its own day. And it doesn't undo yesterday. You know what happened then. You know what happened yesterday. You know when the first meeting and the last meeting and the most contentious meeting and the prayer meeting and the second prayer meeting and the prayer call. Why y'all get up in the morning and do it? I don't know. We do it in Bronzeville. They do it because I can't get up in the morning to pray. God knows I don't pray in the morning. I pray in the morning through snoring. That's what I, that's speaking in tongues. That's speaking in tongues. There's a whole way that the Spirit translates those groanings and utterances. I, I don't pray that. But, but, but God knows each one of those moments. And, 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 and what happens in this moment is this moment relates to that moment. And somehow the Spirit that tells you where God has you in grace, somehow the spirit that communicates God's company with you today goes back into those earlier moments. It's it's why you can come to church and pray in hope and pray in faith and pray in trust and pray in gratitude and walk away still nervous. Because what happens is your body remembers what your soul starts to forget. You you come in church and you hear the scriptures and, and you pray and you hold each other and we meet each other and we talk and your spirit is nourished. But your body remembers, I'm without this. How many months has it been since I had that? I'm still asking for the same. I'm already preaching. That's sermon number one. I just might not know, but I'm asking for the same thing. So I walk away not certain, not fully trusting because my spirit is convincing me of something that my circumstances don't reflect. 
And what God's spirit does is, is take what is in your spirit and bring it to your body, which, which feels like, oh, oh, I felt the goose bumping when I was, oh, I felt good when I was in church, or that made me want to pat my foot or dance. What, what happens and then y'all don't do it and, and you miss the movement of the spirit because what the spirit is doing is translating for your body what happens in your spirit. I know I ain't on the south side today, and I ain't going to take you to the south side. I ain't even bring a handkerchief because I'm not going to sweat. I'm just, just, just trying to introduce this notion that what happens in those moments when your body wakes you up and says, look at that, what is happening is your spirit and your body are coming together, and you are reclaiming past that your body recalls, catching up to what your spirit is expecting, and then you get happy. <laughs> that's, that's, that's when you get happy. Uh, y'all looking at me like you don't know, but you know happy. You, you just feel it in your body. That's my first sermon. Good morning, church. <laughs> Uh-oh, am I in trouble? You coming to give me a hug? You, oh, thank you. Give me a hug, then. Lynn, thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Don't, now, you know that means I still ain't going to sweat. You're trying to make me, I'm, I might, you know, brought me. Just, just in case. All right, just in case. Trying to start trouble. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Lynn. I appreciate it. Oh, Lord, what he going to do next? Uh, um, thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Well, thanks to um, Facebook, a reminder, I see you, Josh Stock, came up to me this week as I was thinking about what I would say to you. And um, I was here a couple of years ago. And the reminder is when Josh checked in during church and checked in saying, wait, hope, pray. And I thought, well, I can't preach that again when I go back since Facebook is telling me I've already done that. I love that about technology, and I'm being funny when I say it for you that don't quite know me, that, you know, you get into this rhythm sometimes because because at least in the Christian tradition, we don't preach new things. And I was here almost 12 years, and I, I mean, and I wasn't standing up the most of that time week after week. But, but even then, after a while, you say all the things you're supposed to say. And the message should sound rather repetitive because if it sounds a little too edgy and innovative, that's when you get toward the borders of, 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 of is this still the message, right? So, so there is some repetition, but I suppose I can't go to those notes. They might be in this same book if I look hard. But thank you, Josh, and Facebook gods for uh, inviting me to, to look at something else. 
Um, but I want to bring you to Acts chapter 1. Uh, the last time I was here, Brother Tim, my brother minister Tim told me something he shouldn't have told me. Uh, but I should say before I say it to make you nervous, I have prepared a manuscript for today. And based upon the manuscript, it is going to be not my shortest sermon, but certainly not my longest. So there you go. I have, however, already preached my first sermon that wasn't on this manuscript. So we'll see how it works. Um, um, Tim, you said, you said, we don't give you, what'd you say? We give you suggested time. What did you say to me? I thought it was, he gives me minimum times. Yes. I, I said, I hope that's a compliment. I'm not sure. It's, he gives me minimum times. Um, but, but I want to take you to Acts chapter one, um, verse 11, one verse. And, uh, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to read it, and then we're going to read the passage in a few minutes. So warm up your voice because you'll get to read in a few minutes uh, the larger passage after I get into things a little bit. But Acts 1 uh, and verse 11 says, Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is not an Advent passage. It is not a passage that is commonly preached during this season where the church celebrates the birth of Christ. It is, at first glance, a passage about the going of Christ, not the coming of Christ. How then do I work with it as an Advent-worthy scripture? What kind of trouble will we get in this morning? How do I offer this to you as a verse for serious soul consideration? First, I do so hoping that you will purchase the idea that all of the verses in the Bible are useful no matter when we read them. No matter what liturgical season, no matter what color attached to the liturgical calendar, especially if God's Spirit breathes them into us. The page has truth, but the words also have life. It is the liveliness that comes from the breath of God so that when we listen to preaching, when we hear something that God uses to spur us into God-likeness, we have heard the word. Second, I offer this passage out of a full and abiding belief that it shows us as much about the coming of God as it does the going of Christ. My approach this morning will be to see this going passage and listen for how those going applications relate to the comings hinted within. 
In other words, what we learn from a verse about God's departure and ascending can be meaningful as we notice the comings and landings of God in our lives. So open yourself to this notion, even as you listen to me, if God is going, How does this help us think about God's coming? The coming of God, something central to Advent as we look forward to the birth of Jesus is about God's visitation or God's meeting of us in our circumstances. Advent is about the birth of Jesus then, but it is also about the birth of Jesus in our times. He is not being born again. He is not being born the way he was there. So there has to be some way that Jesus is born these days. Otherwise, there is no point. We come then to these texts and to these moments, to these Sunday mornings where sermons are preached precisely hoping that God is still coming to us. Maybe in a different form, maybe in a different way, but still coming. My sermon this morning is that God is coming, that God is still coming, that the comings of God deserve our notice, our faithfulness, and our prayerfulness. So so I'm preaching to you and offering you these words as ways to notice the comings of God, to be faithful to the comings of God, and to be prayerful around the comings of God, and, and the faithfulness, and the prayerfulness, and the notice of God's coming are not only in your mind and in your interior life, they are embodied and externalized and visible. You can't only notice internally if you're being faithful, if you're being prayerful. Those two things require us to do something, to live something, to act something. So if God is coming, coming back, coming still, if God is coming, it means living with the hope and the gratitude, as Carlton said, in a posture of thankfulness and expectation. And so while I'm speaking, and I hope you've been asking God to open to you and, 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 and God's voice so that God is literally louder than my loud sometimes self. So that you can hear the Spirit's voice and not be crowded out from what God has to say in this verse. Now if you read the passage that I read, you hear that it's addressed to the men of Galilee. Now, we'll read the longer passage to help us orient to this. But, but in verse 11, uh, these, these hosts, these angels are speaking. 
Now let's place verse 11 in this context of verses 1 through 16. And this is where we'll read together. So if you read slow, speed up. And if you read fast, slow down. And if I drop out, because I'm going to keep talking in a few minutes, you keep reading. But the passage is here, Acts 1, 1 through 16. If you don't know how to pronounce a word, make it up and we won't laugh, okay? All right, you ready to read? Some of y'all look like y'all ain't ready to read. I need to, I need to look at you. You ready? You ready? All right. Let's read together. If I fall out, you keep going. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Keep going. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Amen. Now, my sermon is not about the two angels dressed in white. But I want to mention them 
in order to get to the sermon because these two who are dressed in white have a role in, um, in this passage that shouldn't be overlooked. You read it, you heard yourself reading it. And, and, and they, they are men, but I'm going to call them angels. They are angelic hosts. They are, I'm going to call them angels. They are messengers. You know, I'm going to call them angels. And what they do in the passage, starting particularly in verse 10, right before the verse we read is our primary verse, is, is they, 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 they point out when these folks have looked too long in a certain direction. And, 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 and so here, as you read, you have the people of God, the disciples, the apostles, um, if you will, watching Jesus ascend and leave and depart. And these two eventually ask a question about why these church folk soon to be. These, you know, you'll get a pastor in February. These were soon to be apostles. They, they hadn't exactly claimed all these leadership roles, but, but they're, they're stuck. And the angels point out their stuckness. And, and angels sometimes ask questions that they do answer, and sometimes angels ask questions that they leave unanswered. They say to this group, it's time for you to do something else. It's time for you to move your eyes in a different direction. These angels are telling these, these soon-to-be followers of Jesus, the people who are supposed to follow but who are stuck, go do something else. I read a student's paper the other day, and um, the, the paper, the student, was quoting one of the assigned authors in the class, and so I'm naming the student who was really naming the author who talked about sin in this particular textbook and described sin as the addiction to being less than ourselves. And sometimes angels arrest us from when we are less than ourselves, when we are impostors that keep our gaze, even though it's toward the divine, when we are less than ourselves. Now, if you're following me, I just said, you could be looking at God and be less than yourself. So the angels come and uh, they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking at the sky? And right away, when you see verse 11, like we did this morning, I want you to reread it like we did because the, 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 the words, men of Galilee, require some context, right? Um, and and if, you, if you listen to what you were reading... The angels are only addressing certain people who were present. 
This, this passage and the coming of God, it spills, or that spills from it, though, is not just directed to the men of Galilee. It is not just directed to the Galileans. It is not just directed to its first readers of this writing or to the earliest listeners of our biblical history. This passage is addressed to us. And answer the phone. You never know who it is. Maybe an angel. I don't know. God always comes to more than who we first think God visits. God comes to a segment of Jewish people, the maligned people of the land, and not even the most celebrated Jews at that time. God comes to those first uh, listeners of the letters of Acts, but consider all of those to whom God has arrived since those oral messages were translated to written pages. All the believers who follow Jesus and who have lived toward the teachings of Jesus were included in this event. God came to the persons who Peter and James and the brothers could not see. They hardly saw the women who were there with them. And, and part of me hates the sexist spillage, the reality that our sacred canon holds the same protracted problems that our lives hold. The, 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 the gendered renderings, the, the ethnocentric slash racist renderings that are baked in like they are baked into some of our favorite songs. The privilege for some and not the open generosity for all the grace that God has, but that doesn't get expressed when I, with my black hands, write it down. And then I think we live as readers inside the same lives as our early relatives lived. We, we have the same sins and issues and the same problems and failures. And God comes to us as God came to them. So... Who do you include when you listen to a message like this? And who do you exclude? In other words, who does God come to in your mind and who does God avoid? I know it's an in-your-face question, but those are the best ones, right? Because when I'm at my best, when I'm offering my speeches, I have my own men of Galilee when the Bible says... Uh, in verse 16, they all joined together along with the women and Mary and his brothers. These weren't people who were in the named group. 
So, so who's in my uh, named group and who do I exclude? And, and, and this is a question at the bottom and core of any conversation about the comings of God because the comings of God are larger than I see with my own eyes. When I'm at my best, I'm praying for the people I can't see. For the people I don't even think of. When I'm, when I'm at my best, I'm praying for my enemies. Not just people I don't like. For my enemies. Those are people who have my destruction at their intention. When I'm at my best, I'm doing what the writer of verse 11 didn't do until he got to verse 16. Appreciate the distance between verse 11 and verse 16. When I'm at my best, I pray for the coming of God in my life and in the lives of those I don't even consider worthy of God's visitation. But I, and maybe just me by myself in the church today, don't pray at my best. In fact, I often don't pray I don't, don't even pray for the women, for the mother, for the brothers. I don't even get to verse 16. Are you following me? Because my best words escape me. My best prayers escape me. The best prayers fall out of my mouth as words barely formed or words broken before they actually form. If you believe God only comes to the people who think like you think, you have to reread the passage. If you have moments in your own spiritual life where it gets hard to look in the world and pray for the most marginalized and not just the people you marginalize, you need to reread the passage. If you believe that God only comes to people who eat like you eat and like like you like and play like you play, you need to read the passage because God, I hope you're hearing it, comes with a larger picture. And that picture is painted in this passage even through a basic and slightly liberative lens. God is not just coming to the people who were mentioned, who the earliest writers had in mind. God is not just addressing the word of God to who the earliest writers had in mind, but God is coming to those that God had in mind. A few weeks ago, I was registering Bryce, my oldest boy, for high school. It's December, and high school isn't even this year. It's in 2024, and that means it's next year. It's in August, and they've already started this process. Um, and when I was doing the registration, they, they basically want your blood type and your mama's blood type. They want to know... They want to know who you are. They want to know where you live. They ask all kinds of ways, these basic questions to, to register, pre-register. And I got to part of the registration, and, you know, I'm writing in the stuff, all the stuff I know, you know. And then I started thinking, you know, and I'm, I'm a parent, but I'm a parent of a certain age. Let's just say, Lord. 
And some of y'all laughing because you think you know what I'm talking about, and you probably do. But I ain't that old. I ain't as old as Carlton, just to be clear. Um, we go to dinner sometime, and he looked youngest, but, you know, there are ways you can look young, and I'm just saying, just saying, just saying. I ain't saying what ways, but there are ways. But anyway, I got the microphone right now, not you. Be quiet. You can play later. Um, but here I am registering, registering my oldest boy, and I'm typing in the facts, and, and then they get to, you know, uh, sex. And, you know, I say, he ain't having none. Good, he ain't having none. He better not be. No, that's not the question. I'm joking. That's good. Some of you are laughing. Some of you are like, is he serious? They didn't do an introduction, but I do this when I come here. So, so here's the part that, that you can stop laughing at because this is the serious part. So we, we get to, on this registration, I'm looking, and we get to... Um, Pronouns, preferred pronouns, you know, um, and put those in because they're not that many of those. You know, pretty straightforward. I know Bryce's preferred pronouns. And then we get to uh, orientation, sexual orientation. And there's a drop down. And, of course, there's a drop down, right? And I'm thinking, I know, just like I know, what was in the last list. And I look at the drop down and... Dan, you loyally, man, you are the drop down, drops, and then I go on my screen and scroll down so I can go down further, and then I go even further because the drop down is longer than I expected. I mean, the drop down has more options than I know how to pronounce, honestly. I mean, they're words, and I'm looking, I said, I don't even know what that is, and I will have a PhD in days, and I don't even know how to pronounce that. Like, what is that? And, and I thought about this week that simple exercise because, because there was no way for me even to appreciate the coming of God to People who to me were unnamed. I didn't even know these names existed. Now that is a deceptively simple example. But sit with who you name and who you know. And who you don't even know to name. Sit with for a moment how formed who you know is. How, how, how fixed. What you name is. So that when I ask you, to whom does God come when you think of the coming of God? Your concept for who God comes to is already the size it is. The list is so long. Only so long. And 
This passage is an invitation to scroll down and see more than the men of Galilee. This passage is an invitation to see more than your political or social cronies or the people you're comfortable hanging with. This passage is an invitation to see Palestinian people if you would only normally see Jewish people. This passage is an invitation to see the under and uninsured when you only hang out with people who make six and seven figures. This passage is asking us to lean in and to say, who do we even begin to conceive of when we say the birth of Jesus? The point is to, with the passage of Scripture, open up the theoretical newspaper. We don't even really have those anymore. But to ask the question of our souls, who do I think God has in mind and who do I not even think of? Now, all that's introduction. That's second sermon. This is third sermon. I ain't been up but about five minutes as far as I can tell. Let's move toward this verse and toward the close. That's the first time I say the close. It is not only a message about a coming event, the coming of God. It is not only about the coming of God that is available to more people than we could first conceive of and believe. This verse and passage are also giving us a message about a spiritual quality required for the event. If the event is the coming of God, that is the event. If the, the openness is to who is eligible for the coming of God, that is preliminary. So the preliminary of this passage is who does this even address? Who is even in mind? And if the event is the coming of God, that is the coming. That is, when will God come into my life now where I have needed God to be, where God is not yet at? The coming will come. God will come. The story of Christmas tells us that God will come won't look like we expect God to look, but God will come. That is the message. If this is preliminary, and if this is the content, what's the third sermon or the fourth sermon? I don't even know how to count. What's the next piece? It's the quality that results from the openness of God's coming because God is always too big to fit into my smallness. So God is always saying, I'm bigger, I'm bigger. You got this expectation, but it's too small. So let's, as a preliminary matter, fix the field and say it's broader, it's bigger. I am coming. Don't box me in. The boxes don't apply. All preliminary. The content is the coming. The old Christian prayer. See, this is, I go off my notes. This is how I get long. I just 
need to stay. The coming, the prayer, the old Christian prayer is Marin Arthur, come Lord Jesus. And then the spiritual practice of subtraction prayer, when you can't pray that whole long three-word prayer, come Lord Jesus, sometimes you can just say, come Lord. And when you can't get all those two words out, sometimes you just say, come. And when you can't say that, sometimes you just say, mm. All prayers. Content. What happens as a result? What happens as a result of you staying in the posture of waiting for God to come in the form and way and path that God left? What happens when an angel comes and says, what's wrong with you? Why are you looking up? You got to look somewhere else. You're looking up when Jesus told you to follow and Jesus never walked around looking up. Jesus never healed looking up. You're staying here too long. What happens? Whenever we're asked a question like, why are you standing here looking? We are at core being asked a question about trust. If you want to stop listening, you can stop now. If you want to keep listening, I'm going to talk about trust. If we're in the crowd of uplookers, persons whose heads are lifted toward the sky, we know what we saw. We saw Jesus. And if I was in the Baptist church, I'd park there a little bit and I'd say, have you ever seen Jesus? See, and if you were ever Baptist, you'd get happy because you might not say anything, but, but just thinking about the time you saw Jesus, right? That's how the message gets longer, but we're not going to preach that message. It's going just going to say, we who love Jesus can easily get stuck looking for Jesus. And it's a noble stuckness. It's an understandable affection to want Jesus. I don't think you can spend time with Jesus and not want Jesus. I think it's beautiful to get stuck and to be in a place of awe and contentment because the safety that comes with being in the company of God is a safety you don't even get in church sometimes. You, you meet Jesus and you don't want the moment to pass. You're not supposed to want to look anywhere else other than that large sacredness of God among us. I mean, what else is there to life than being in the company of God? This, this, this is the content. This is the coming. There is no point. Why leave? And then an angel said, you got to go. Why are you stuck? And then you remember, oh, this is the point of all of life, but it is not the point of all of life here because this world is jacked up. 
And in following the God who visits me, I have to live in the world that God has me in. And that's hard to accept. It's hard to metabolize that the God you were looking to is gone and that that God who is awesome and amazing wants you to look somewhere else and do something else with your eyes and your hands and your body. It takes trust of a certain quality to believe that God who has told you to worship wants you to leave worship and go help somebody. When you've been in church, the only concept I can have is, is being in a service where I could say a number of concepts. I'll just keep it. It's, okay. When you've been in, in sacred space, get this in your mind. Get this in your mind. Get, get in your mind a sacred space that you know is as close to perfect as you can get it. Get it in your mind. And when it's in your mind, you go there and you feel better just by thinking about it. It might be music. It might be in the love, in the arms of your family. It might, be, it might be in a worship service. It might be looking at a piece of art. It might be walking down the street. It might be sitting in the park. You, you, you know what it's like, and you know what it's like to be told it's time to go. And, 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 and to believe that God knows what God means when God says it's time to go takes trust. I don't believe you, God. I don't believe you want me to leave this. So you send one angel, that ain't enough. You better send two. And they might want to dress in white, just so I'm clear. Because they've been telling me angels wear white. So send two of them. Here, the angel is saying to us what takes trust. Turn your gaze, look toward your families, your jobs, your communities, and live in them while you wait on the next event of God's coming. Here the angel is asking about the coming of God in the form of the son that God loves. The coming about the return, that phenomenal event that all Christians have, have emerged from and toward. Do you believe that you can trust that Jesus will come back if you stop looking? This is not necessarily a question we answer by raising our hands like a classroom. We don't raise our hands and say, yes, I believe, like those old school altar calls where we're expecting people uh, to come and publicly declare their trust. This is a trust that is much more intimate. It is a trust that requires an answering in the heart that goes beyond an episode or a verbalized prayer but spills into your life. 
This answering requires that we come back over and over, sometimes walking by the spot where we saw Jesus leave and going to the library and walking past the intersection again and going to work and sometimes walking past the mount and going to the grocery store. And it's an answering about this or it's an answering of this trust that is answered through the movements of our bodies from the place we saw God to our fears and back again. The place we saw God and our questions and back again. And that trust is a constant turning of our gaze. A trust that is looking away from the sky and toward the ground. A trust that is moving your eyes to stop seeing where Jesus once was to all the terrestrial concerns that stand between where you are and where God may next come. This trust is looking to where you are now and not to where Jesus might be reborn because he was there in a manger. It's a trust that says you could be on the low end or you could be in the northern suburbs and your eyes can be open to those streets because when God comes, because that's what the angel says, you won't miss it. It's going in the direction that you know God isn't in. I'm looking to where God goes. But you're telling me to go over there. God, God isn't over there. God is up there. So how does this feel? It feels like going in the direction where you know God isn't. Trust is then going in the direction where you know God is. I saw where Jesus went. You're telling me to go? Friends, this is very hard. Carl, come on up. Let's act like I'm done because I'm about done. Actually, this time. A couple more comments. It's very hard to do because you want God to return in the fashion that God in Christ left. You want God to come in the bold ways and the phenomenal and fascinating ways. God descend. And you contend with the angelic hosts asking, why are you looking that way? How do you do this? You grieve God's goings. You grieve the goings of God. You mourn it. You cry about it because you know what you saw. You grieve God's goings. Let me say this to you. It's probably occurred to most of you, but I want to say it. Everybody that was listening to this angel died without God coming to them the way they expected when the angel spoke. None of them are here. They needed to grieve in order to be faithful to the Christ they loved. Can't get stuck here. Centuries have happened since. So there has to be more than us staying in our stuck postures and staying in our comfortable zones. We have to grieve that God isn't coming the way we thought or that 
fault. This is falling apart. That's why. Grieve the goings of God in order to be open to the comings of God. We have to cultivate a kind of willingness, a kind of openness, a willingness to say, God is also possibly there and not just there. It's the cultivation of a willingness, a humility that God goes where God says and not where I write down. I know God meets me here because that's where I was when God last met me. And we can get fixed and write stuff down in our souls that become the opposite of God's actual reality. So we're cultivating a willingness to say, you can be here too. The last thing I'll say is, take a little risk and we take a step away from where God was and where we know we met Jesus to where God might next be. So you go to work on time and you say, you know, could be this classroom. Well, I know I'm going to meet the devil because that second grader, that, oh, that second grader ain't got God in him. That was a joke. That was a joke. Everybody knows children have God in them until they get to fourth grade. Amen. That's <laughs> um, you go where God sends you because you're cultivating an openness to God meeting 